all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. He was joking. He's like, are you ready for your peer-to-peer consult? Now, I am, I am not a doctor. I became very educated on the smallest of small niches for this area and was able to help and not just sit back and, and wait for other people to do it. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 246 with Stephanie. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, everybody. And in this episode, you'll learn three main things. How to take care of yourself if you're a primary caretaker of someone with Lyme. How to deal with uncooperative and closed-minded medical practitioners. And why it's always a good idea to keep in touch with a lawyer when your child is sick with Lyme. Thanks, Aurora. And a big shout out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You're the reason we have 600,000 downloads, more than half a million now. That's right. Shooting right up. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to thank all you new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You are now officially a Lime Ninja. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from Atlanta to Asheville and from Sinsbury to South Bend. Thanks, Aurora. I did that one for you. Yeah. Indiana. Yep. Yep. Notre Dame. Notre Dame's hosting Virginia this weekend. Go Irish. (laughs) Beat Wahoos. All right. Thanks, (laughs) Aurora. Tell us a little bit about today's guest, Stephanie. And she shares the name of our guest last week, but it really is a different person. So don't be confused. This is a different Stephanie. All right. Tell us about Stephanie. It's a tale of two Stephanies. There we go. (laughs) Stephanie's journey began- Speaking of tales, we do have an update on the most horrible water well week ever. (laughs) So last week we talked about it breaking and we fixed it twice. Then we had to fix it thrice. And I think it's still not fixed yet. Matter of fact, I know it's not fixed yet. So this is really a great illustration of plan B. Our actual, have to admit, our actual, our first plan B was actual plan 1A. We just, I did the same thing, just a little bit better. 
except it wasn't good enough. So it broke in exactly the same place. The PVC threading exploded off the pipe. And so we moved on to plan B, C. Plants, well, a real plan B. Real so we got B. a metal piping. And this was awesome. It held, except now the check valve broke. That, so on to plan D. Well, yes. Well, that was an unexpected failure. Yes. So now we've got a new check valve in, and we have other problems that are showing up. So I think I'm going to have to climb down into the well. Don't worry. It's not that deep, and it's cement, so it's not going to collapse on me. I'm hoping there's no snakes. Frogs are okay. Tadpoles, <laughs> crayfish, yeah. Snakes, not so much. We think the check valve is stuck down there, so the pump is working overtime to suck the water through the pipe. And I hope that'll be the last. We'll give you an update next week. Anyway, you must have a plan B. And the moral of and the story. And once you've moved on to plan B, you need to have a plan C, because that then becomes your plan B. Don't give up. And then when plan C works, it will highlight other things that are wrong in the system. So Perhaps, yes. <laughs> and that's kind of phase three of your Lyme journey is once you're over everything, then you realize, oh, my goodness, there were these other things that I need to address now. And then once the water is fixed completely, then you can move on to the next project, like finish painting the house or getting a job or getting back into relationships and things like that. Well, it's always moving forward. So have plan A, have plan B, know where you are on your journey, know what the next step is going to be, what's around the bend. It's that important. Okay, now you can tell us about Stephanie. Stephanie's journey began when her son became ill. Within two months, her son fell ill from severe psychological and neurological symptoms. Stephanie began her mission to help her son with medical research, research into Western and alternative medicine. During the course of helping her son heal, she learned how to start taking care of herself, and that was a big part of it. Okay. Once again, we have a mom. <laughs> and you mothers out there don't get enough kudos. You really lead the charge in taking care of the health of your family. And we wanted to bring some Lyme stories back. It's been a while since we talked on the personal side of thing, interview people. We've mostly been doing medical experts, that side of thing. And we just wanted to bring it back and bring some reality back to what the actual day-to-day -day struggle is like. And the week before, Stephanie, who's the counselor, she has Lyme and her family has Lyme. It's like the whole family has Lyme. So that's a different dynamic. This is more a mom whose son falls ill with Lyme disease and doesn't suffer herself directly with Lyme disease, but how much a struggle it is and how much it can just consume you and how important it is to remember to do some self-care and to take care of yourself so you don't go completely into the rabbit hole of taking care of your child and forget about yourself and let everything else fall apart. So I think that's the, that's the story here. So it's part about, you know, this, but putting together your team, this is early on. This is one of the first steps in your Lyme disease journey, whether you're doing it for a child or a husband or a partner or whether you're, you're alone in this. In initially, and you've got to put together your own team. It's one of those first steps is put together your team of help, whether it's an online group, whether it's a, a bricks and mortar support group, whether it's your doctor, a lawyer. We mentioned that in the intro. You need to begin to piece together your team of helpful people. 
and hopefully you'll include Lime Ninja Radio as part of that. All right, so here is our interview with Stephanie. Hello, Stephanie. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, McKay. I am so excited to speak with you because I don't think I get enough moms on my show. (laughs) (laughs) And you Uh, guys. I may be able to help you with that. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are the front, really the front lines in dealing. And children are so disproportionately affected by Lyme disease. Uh, I've heard that statistic several times, and really it's the moms that have to figure it all out and get them help, and so I think it's really important to have conversations like we're going to have about what it takes and what's out there, and you know, you were talking earlier about that there's hope, it's not all despair, there's some good things happening, so it's I'm really excited to speak with you. Well, I'm excited to share this hard-earned wealth of information and um, be a a voice of hope and inspiration for anybody out there who might be listening today. We have lots of good stuff to share. Let's go back to your beginning because nobody signs up. I think I'll be a mom and have a really sick child. So how did this all begin? So actually, I was going through my mind today, rethinking about that. I have lists. I have information. I'll share some of the symptoms, um, which are very common amongst this community. But I remember about a year before this happened. Now, this this struck us, I say, in October of 2016. I remember having um, one of those experiences where you wake up late at night, maybe one or two in the morning, you wander out because somebody left the light on in the kitchen. And I remember looking out into this back room of ours, this three seasons deck, if you will, And seeing the character from Meet Joe Black. And it was a character played by Brad Pitt. And in this movie, he represented death. And he was coming to claim his life in the movie. And it struck me as bizarre, freaky, weird, all these things. Okay, hey, whatever. And then I turned the light off and went back to bed. Little did I know, a year later, he would be back that character, that energy, that vibe of death. And that's literally what we experienced in terms of overnight, McKay, the death of our our son's life as we knew it, presented mostly initially as psychiatric anxiety. He was just starting sixth grade and we thought maybe he was anxious. The doctor wanted to try some SSRIs and Things rapidly escalated to involuntary movements, verbal loud tics, spasms, as if he had was having epileptic seizures or Tourette's. He had extreme oppositional defiance disorder, paranoid thoughts. He, he was terrified to go to school. We could not even say the word school. That began a cascade of other events where we had to have him uh, assessed. He couldn't even be assessed by the local school psychologist. He would have these episodes where his eyes would kind of roll back in his head. His pupils were huge. He had some air hunger. 
couldn't breathe. He was very conflicted. One day it was the white ceiling fan. The other day it was the TV. It was truly madness in terms of the myriad of symptoms that probably in a two-month period he he developed. So I was going to ask you, you talk about rapid. So within two months went from normal sixth grader to what happened to my boy? Absolutely. Well, yes, a very high functioning boy who was outgoing and gregarious, a competitive swimmer, uh, showed up for school, his life to uh, it literally, it was as if he was internally kidnapped, terrorized, and his human physical shell was left, and he was a mess. He lost the ability to walk. He had pots, so he couldn't regulate his blood pressure. And um, we had a few journeys to hospitals in a different state and then upstate, in which case he was assessed by the entire. We had to go in through ER because our local people were, were of no value. They're like, get to the ER and maybe you can get in and see the doctors. We don't have the kind of help you need here locally. And we're like in upstate New York. So that journey brought on a series of evaluations um, in which initially, because he didn't score definitively enough on the lame uh, line test they gave him in the hospital, I had to go throw down with the infectious disease doctor about his, his bands. She said no. So then it became psychiatric in nature. It's all in his head. It's conversion therapy. And they gave him some medicine. And then he goes on suicide watch because it was contraindicated for anybody who would have known about this population. And then we were discharged and sent on our merry way. That, that was certainly a fun experience. That was the, the really the beginning of the of the nightmare. Just yeah, it's all a nightmare. Just just absolutely horrific. And it's such a common, you know, the details are different, but the arc of the story, all these Lyme stories are so painfully similar. It's, it's just brutal. <sighs> yes, and, they are. And and during this, do you have a moment to breathe and kind of you know, kind of grieve over what's happening, or are you just kind of like in triage and just trying to make it to the next day the next hour in some cases it was the hour it, it actually was a blessing that he lost the ability to walk because in terms of any in any type of self-harm which i've known a lot of people whose kids resort to that he wasn't able to get to the knives he physically wasn't even really ambulatory which was heartbreaking and distressing but then when the intrusive thoughts inside of his head and mom there's monsters inside of me and I'm not sick enough and I just have to hurt myself of which he was never able to physically do thank goodness because if that line gets crossed then it sends you down a different path but I would probably have I would have moments of respite or just sobbing and breaking down like most of us and I couldn't even be bothered to go sit in the car and cry and hide it there were times where I just had to collapse where I was and, and everybody got to bear witness to that. And, and it was a challenge for sure. So during this, are you putting together or even thinking about the support you need or was it all focused on your son? Initially it was focused on him and I became this mad 
mad person ingesting like all of these books on Lyme, on infectious madness, on Lyme madness, on parasites, on autoimmune and brains under attack. And I would just immerse myself in between. Now I can only physically leave the house for about 12 hours a week. He had such severe separation anxiety. I was only to negotiate and barter with him and keep him stable for me leaving the house for 12 hours a week. So I had three days in which there were four hour blocks in which I could leave. So I was able to leave, but my mind was still, you know, a prisoner of sorts of trying to pursue and waiting for that first doctor appointment and talking to local people that I knew and just getting out there to find some pieces of the puzzle. And on the journey, though, the gift for me was I wasn't beholden to any paradigm. I didn't have to believe in what I was taught in any form of school. I was open to everything, McKay, everything, freaky stuff, medical stuff, alternative stuff. It did not matter. I was going to find what I needed to find to help this kid get his life back. And did you make the diagnosis first? And I don't mean like specifically necessarily, but okay, this is some sort of infection or did that come from the outside and that confirmed one of the many things you were looking at? Well, I mean, I had some brilliant people who unfortunately around me, their kids were sick. So they'd been down the path of pots, of pans, of um, lime, of all of that. So they were fabulous for me initially and then my family thought I was going batshit crazy but they were smart enough to tell me my local peers that these are the markers this is what you do now go and take the hygienics test and so thank goodness I did that yeah that helped me but then I also pieced back the puzzle if he had had a very common illness coxsackie you know hand foot and mouth disease he was sent home from school right around the time this happened and he got a flu shot so when I went back and did my Monday morning quarterback, I was like, oh, oh, my God. And that was before we had the panel of the epigenetic testing and the problem detoxing and some of that valuable information. Right. But I walked in there. I walked into our LLMD two and a half hours away feeling pretty educated. And then by the end of it, we were like, we would joke me like, are you ready for your peer-to-peer consults? Now, I am, I am not a doctor. I became very educated on the smallest of small niches for this area and was able to help and not just sit back and, and wait for other people to do it. Like everybody else I've talked to, I had to get off the bench. I had to read. I had to read PubMed articles beyond just the abstract. I had to listen to summits. I listened to numerous podcasts. That's how I found you and piece bits and pieces together along with Western medicine, along with labs. I mean, this this was done with labs. And ultimately, our son just wasn't responding. He had to get the pick line and we started IV meds. And I became like the nurse all night overnight with the other nurse coming in weekly to change out the pick and the MRI and the full gamut of Western medicine, as well as all of the other alternatives. So when all was said and done, what type of infections was he dealing with? And I would include mold in there if if that was a player. So just like anything, right? And we and that was that was going to be next on my list. 
we were looking at metals and molds and, and what have you. So we know it started with the lovely Kaksaki that was active when the horses got released from the barn. And then early on, we had Gorilla Lyme. We had Bartonella and Babesia, and he had some of the common presenting symptoms. But we, lucky enough, we only had to wait a little bit under three months to get in to see the LLMD. So that was fabulous because right out the gate, we knew what we were dealing with. The torturous journey, as is for everyone, is unlocking what is going to fix and heal your human being. Because oils worked or because antivirals worked or whatever myriad or combination you need, you're, you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I hope this works for my kid. I've heard good stories. I've read this. I've tried this. And so then it was a matter of, okay, you've got a label. So maybe I had an hour of joy and peace and happy <laughs> dancing. Then I was like, give me the mad, give me the next piece. It's not working. Day one, day two, day three. You know what I'm saying? Lighting of the candles, bowing down standing on my head, all of this, all of this, in the hopes that it would work for him. And I do have to say, okay, my husband, my husband, oh my gosh, he was such a rock. He was such a rock because when this all ended and I said to him, oh my gosh, I was so focused on our son. And really, just on him, I really didn't do much self-care. I heard it, I this and I that. I just, my self-care was really my research, was really being a medical detective. That gave me peace. That gave me a sense of feeling some power. But my husband had to witness both of us go down in flames. Oh, my God. And keep it together and keep the money rolling in. Because we didn't want to lose our marriage. We didn't want to lose our house. We dipped into our savings. We were lucky that we had those resources. A lot of people don't. They it's just so true. don't. Yeah, it's so true. And it's so difficult. And... It is. You are, you are, you know, on one hand, it's, you're, you're fortunate, right? We say you're fortunate and, but on, you know, the other hand, it's, it's, it's not an accident. Uh, you know, you must had a strong marriage going into it. Uh, these things don't happen yeah. by accident. Yeah. And at the same time, I, I understand feeling very fortunate, very grateful because you see and you hear the stories where the opposite happens, where the marriage falls apart, the family falls apart. Uh, or you get attacked from, you know, your friends and, and family. You know, this is, what what are you doing? How can you, you know, think it's Lyme? How can you be doing oh, yeah. this? They need to be on psychiatric meds. It's clearly a psychiatric problem. Did you? How much did you have to fight with the school? Oh, well, I really lucked out in that because, of course, we saw psychologists. We saw psychiatrists. And we had a brilliant psychi psychiatrist tell us from the get-go, if there's infectious disease is involved, Lyme, co-infections, you need to fix that before you even come back and see me. He is wow. brilliant in that. He got it early on. And then when we were reported to Child Protective Services by, oh, such an arrogant infectious disease doctor, simply because, I think because my husband told him F you, as we were wheeling our son out of the exam room, as he was telling us, well, this doesn't exist. Your doctor's a quack, Lyme, co-infections, long-term yeah. chronic Lyme, pants, pandas, none of it. And that was all within the first four minutes of us being there. So we open up the portable wheelchair, get our son in, wheeling him out. And, and he's like, I'm sorry, you know, with his little minions behind him who he's 
teaching this fabulous bedside manner to my husband said F you. Well, about two weeks later, it's Child Protective Services coming to visit us. And then when we, they told us in no uncertain terms that they couldn't see our son immediately, they would start the proceeding, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They can't tell you, of course, who reports you, but when they read off the, what I call allegations, every single one I could trace back to the doctor because it was all old information from like seven months before when we had been admitted to one of the hospitals. I knew exactly who it was. So we let him go upstairs. There's our kid laying in bed, getting one of his IV meds, tick line, functioning, talking. I had the sitter in the room with him and, and we immediately got our attorney and, and took care of that and were able to protect our son as we continued on the journey. But you, I mean, so you get attacked from within. There was another incident early on when I say medical kidnapping. This woman was going to admit him immediately through neurology because she felt he was too attached to me. He was too attached to me because he was looking at me to remember some of the terms of the this or the that. But within 60 minutes of being in her office, she was ready to admit him, even though it was like three hours from her house. The inpatient program was no end date in sight. And I, I told my husband, because he had called her back to follow up to see what resources. I said, she's trying to medically kidnap our son. You don't understand what's going on here. And he, he quickly understood, yeah, that, that's not going to be the answer. Because she didn't believe in it. She had a background from pandas. And she was top dog in that branch. And she was very clear this doesn't exist. He was too attached. You know, the, the whole Munchausen by proxy thing, people get, people get tagged with that so often. And it's. You know, it's just that is truly madness that because you care about your kid, yeah, you would get tagged with that. That, in the that, that would be the last diagnosis they're ruling out, not something on the on the front end. I mean, those those well, cases exist, minutes? but they're so bizarre. You know, they're so infrequent and they're so bizarre. Um, but to, exactly. You know, to go exactly. And this, she was an expert in pandas. That's what her bio said. And I, again, and she, I didn't have the, um, well, go on. We, yeah, just, no, that, it's like, that how can you be an book. expert in something you don't think exists? Well, I suppose it's an well, expert no, in debunking it. I'm an expert in UFOs and they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that about you. Case closed. No, well, and that's important. <laughs> there you go. And that, unfortunately, is when the, you know, some of the arrogance and the huge blind spots that some some medical professionals have that, that keep them from really ultimately, to me, can be viewed as medical malpractice. When you're that shut down and that all-knowing and you send people away, thank God I had the time to, I did not have to work. I had a husband that could pay the bills. So I was able to immerse myself in this and become the caretaker and the medical researcher and detective and do all this investigation. Meanwhile, you know, dealing with the the physical events that would unfold every single day, having such an ill child. So what did you end up settling in in terms of a course of treatment? Is like, and I know it must have changed over time, but like, what are some of the things that made the biggest difference? Because I think people just like to hear, you know, not that it works for everybody or anything like that, but right, it's just, okay, right. you know, this, I've been thinking about this, so maybe this will give me a little more impetus to research it a little bit more. 
Well, we tried a number of things. The biggest challenge was is the oppositional defiance. And, and our son was very intelligent. And so he would argue against certain, like maybe even alternatives. He tried oil for me once. Um, I think we had done, which I loved, an NES treatment. Is that where you put the hand on it with the computer? We did something, but he railed against that. We had tried ACT, which is the codes that you do over the phone. Um, we ultimately, for, for him, because we needed some buy-in, we needed some compliance, we went more Western medicine with integrative functional medicine, upstate New York, and ultimately because the the antibiotics did not work for him. Then we went IV antibiotics and we did blood work along the way and testing along the way to see what was moving. And, and ultimately, and tons of supplements, of course, to protect the liver and the gut and the this and that. It wasn't just bombarding him with, with meds. Um, and then we did IVIG, which thank goodness he sat for because he did like two two-day courses. He was able to get it in through the pick line since he did, so he didn't have to keep getting repoked. And he had saline overnight, so that helped him stay hydrated. And I think ultimately, the IVIG treatments that we we had money and savings to pull out that was forty grand, McKay, that we paid. Now that was top dollar because it was done in the convenience of our doctor's office with the IV nurse because these kids. These kids are skittish. They'll try to jump out of cars. They will lose it at the thought of walking through the door to get in the car. You don't know what you're going to be dealing with in any hour. And that is a two and a half hour car ride just to get there to do it. And then the nurse comes in the room and all bets could be off. I mean, it's, it really is touch and go. But I think the IVIG definitely helped to reset the immune system. But I really think what we found out on the back end was he had vir viruses in play. He had HHV6 and Epstein-Barr off the charts in terms of his blood work. So we treated that. And I'm now thinking that even with Lyme and co-infections, that some of the viral components are playing, even in some cases, maybe retroviruses. I've been listening to some information on that lately and ways that, that, uh, certain shots when they come in, if they were cultured in a different organism and then the DNA and the RNA does the reverse transcriptase and starts putting some stuff in the human with whatever your natural genetic makeup is, that it's, I heard it on, I heard it the other day in your show and it's great time, a perfect storm, a combination of factors and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking that the identification of the viruses was very important in Chase's recovery in the IVIG. Yeah. D did you think the IV antibiotics had an impact, like just not taking it up a notch? Things that I think what happened was the problem was, as you know, so you go in there, you start busting up biofilms, shaking stuff off, then they're giving off their neurotoxins or their toxic wastes, they're dying. If the human cannot recycle that and get it out, it becomes chronically and recirculating. Yeah. I think initially we blasted the heck out of everything. He was non-ambulatory. He wasn't even walking around the house like a child who would be homeschooled was. He was out. So all of that gunk and nastiness, I think, was just recirculating. He would not go to a sauna. He wouldn't drink lemon water. We couldn't do any of the activated charcoal, any of the detoxing that other patients would be willing, coulda, woulda, shoulda do. He mm -hmm. would not do it. He couldn't do it. 
So all that gunk, I think, was recirculating. Then I was like, okay, well, that's not really working too well. We pulled the protocol for a while and we tried IV thinking, okay, because I said, what's the bioavailability? What's going on? How much is actually getting in? If we know the cycle of this organism is 21 days and we can only even impact it seven, maybe 10 days, what we're just blasting for the 21 days. Right. And then it's not even getting out of his body because of his genes. He had a, I don't remember, I think it was SOD2 or one or two things which were problematic in terms of detoxing his system. Yeah, the the SOD genes are critical, critical, critical because essentially what can happen is uh, it just breaks down your immune system so it doesn't shut off. So essentially like your immune system's traveling the whole time. It just creates... uh, uh, an inflammatory mess, uh, an oxidative and mess within the cell. Yeah. Now, uh, this is from my learning here, and I have a kind of a pet theory that I'm trying to track down with people. Did he have parasites of any kind? Not that we identified. I okay. sent. I sent. I did no. I did the hair analysis with ARL. Is it in Arizona? Yeah, it's a lab in Arizona. Okay, well, anyway, I had researched the doctor and, and did all that or whatever, and nothing showed up in terms of his parasites. But it's not like we did any protocol, though, because he was not up for that at all. Yeah, and then how about in terms of uh, infections in hollow spaces? So sinus, lung, you know, pneumonia, bronchitis, or even bladder infections, anything like that? None of that. None of that was identified, at least at least at the times when we would do labs. And you were like, and as you know, though, when you say you do labs, okay, but what is the, what's the Rx written for? What are you looking for? Because stuff could be there, but if you're not testing for it, it's just not going to show up. So nothing ever showed up. Kid had, kid had a lot of blood drawn, as most of these kids do. Yeah, because what I'm, what I'm finding, what I'm thinking is the, the immune system has a couple different modes. So it can zero in on different types of pathogens. And what happens in Lyme is pathogens from the opposite ends of the spectrum uh, show up at the same time. And the immune system needs to lean one way or the other to kill one or the other. And, and that kind of leaves the back door open mm-hmm. for the other. And so what I was just going over right. is some of the pathogens on the TH2 side of things. Now, Lyme itself may be tend to uh, push the body toward a TH2. I'm not. I'm trying to find more research on that. There's not a whole lot out there. There's a little bit, um, but essentially, if if that's the case, then it leaves a door open for viruses. So normally, where the body would just kind of take care, you're. It's not that you're sure, immune sure. suppressed necessarily, but it ends up looking that way because your body's busy fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a multi-front war, right? You, while you're all got your troops on one side, the the enemy on your back door comes in through the back door. Absolutely, it's. I like when somebody has said something about the horse, horses are out of the barn. Where maybe initially you notice the gate cracked a little bit, mm-hmm. then you get over there quick enough to secure it, but once a certain amount of momentum starts going, everything's coming out. I have no doubt his body was just not able to clear some of this basic stuff that that all of us are walking around with, but we can clear it, we can balance it, keep it in check, get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing I did actually learn, there was somebody along the path told me about this and she said, and the book was called, it's like, um, don't kill my Lyme, just get me better. 
So my paradigm started to shift to from a, we got to eradicate it, you know, all of the verbs and the vocabulary around that to, okay, wait a minute. We're a bunch of bacteria and microorganisms and stuff anyway. I, I was able to lean into that. That didn't freak me out in terms of how much is really human genetic versus bacteria virus. I don't care about that. That's fine. So I leaned into that and I thought, Look, we don't, we're not seeking perfection. We're not declaring war. I started changing my terminology in terms of the body is a wondrous, magical organism. It's so much smarter than on my best day any I, I could ever be. So I'm going to trust and do what I can to clear out the thing so it can resume its natural, brilliant, miraculous ability to heal and thrive. I started going more towards that. Now to him, this was highly annoying. Anything positive or alternative um, to him just flipped him out. So this was all my internal work and conversations I would have privately because he would rail against any of this. And I just had to kind of reshift my internal paradigms and the words I was speaking out loud to, to help him. And I truly believe that was so important for his healing journey. That's one of the reasons why this podcast called Lime Ninja Radio, as opposed to Lime Warrior or something like that, is that, mm -hmm. you know, full frontal assault uh, isn't always the best thing. It can be, you know, sometimes you talk to people and yeah, they did the IV antibiotics or IV uh, cocktail of antibiotics and man, they hit it hard for, for nine months after being sick for years and they're better, you know, and that was the right approach. But, on the other hand, you hear so many other stories where you do antibiotics for years, years, I should say months, and sometimes years. Mm -hmm. and, and at some point, they kind of say, well, you know, we've been doing this and I'm not any better. And maybe I'm a little bit worse because mm -hmm. my gut's not functioning anymore. Uh, so, right. you know, right. now, now what? Right. Plan B. I'm, I'm big on plan B these days. Like we got to have a plan B always. Well, when we had done that assault and his, he was kind of mentally more open. I say, I say Western medicine, that kind of maybe more conventional path with that. But what I realized was, and I've heard many people say that, I mean, when you are broken open like this, I realized this was an entirely spiritual journey. Hmm. It was showing up as this physical thing with names of, you know, Babesia and Bartonella and all this. But I was like, okay, okay, universe. This is, there's some divine stuff, even in this sickness. Okay, I got my lesson. I'm ready for my son to heal. We're good to go. I'll go out and I'll sign up and volunteer making all these deals with the universe, with God. And it was really an internal transformation as we found our way. But every single day, this disease, this path was reworking and waking me up. Oh my goodness. I am, as I say, I am woke. I am so woke now about healing and compassion and togetherness and hope. It is amazing. It's really pretty fabulous. That's what I've taken away from this. And I'm now trying to help people and share our story at times when appropriate, but um, help people. I am a huge resource. I have said to many people in our community, anybody can call me, they can email, they can text me and I will share what I've learned as I continue to learn more and give information. So it was as much a journey for you as it was for him, or maybe 
and the whole family, the whole family, but particularly it's like you, it sounds like you were leading, you were leading. Oh yeah. Uh, And I know from my, from my years of coaching that if the coaches aren't continually working on themselves to be better people, Mm -hmm. not just better coaches, but better people Mm -hmm. that the team won't, if you're not doing that work, the team's not going to follow you. Somehow they can smell it. And the kind of, that's what you're hinting at is that you had to let go of things and learn things because you, you sounded like you want to do all this alternative stuff. And he was like, Nope, (laughs) ain't going to happen, mom. Exactly. Right. And so then what, you know, so so do do you become oppositionally defiant or do you find a path through? Oh, well, there were times, of course, when I just wanted to hold them down and do certain things or whatever, but I realized <laughs> that I could still take him. He was only 12 and 13, but of course he couldn't stand up, so I just clearly had the advantage. But yeah, well, um, CPS was, would be looking oh, at the window. Was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, really. If they hadn't before. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, it, it just was an amazing journey of being broken down, and I had just I had just looked at that beautiful sculpture where the woman was sitting in the yoga pose and she is, there's cracks in her body and that light is piercing through. And I had so loved that sculpture. I'm like, gosh, darn it. This is exactly what's happened to me. I feel like I'm being ripped apart and cracked open, literally. And all of this light is shining through. And I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to do with it? As we were on the journey, obviously it's easier now to hold this vibration that my son is back to his life and not upstairs hooked up and, you know, having terrors. Um, But it has been an amazing journey to, well, to wake our entire family up. But yes, it has helped me take my power back and learn things about healing, really. I mean, yes, I know a few scientific terms and this and that, and everybody's showing up kind of in their wheelhouse. But mine right now is, okay, information and healing. We got this, people. We got it. So let's let's pause there for a second, because, you know, once we've gone through the transformation and we kind of got our butterfly wings out and we're checking ourselves out and saying, hey, you know, look, I'm I'm transformed and I like where I am now. But in the moment that you're cracking open, it's not all, or was it, rainbows and unicorns? No, it was like Dante's seven levels of hell. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. No, it was, it was terrifying. I would toggle between feelings of, as everybody on this journey does, and, and many illnesses, I think, of total powerlessness. And not wanting to feel like a victim and saying, I am nobody's victim and this is not happening to me. This is happening for me while sobbing hysterically. I remember a couple of nights, my son, he could only like, I say, crawl like a bug. He would scoot his butt and he would use his arms and hands and he crawled down the stairs and up the stairs to tell my husband, dad, mom's breaking down again. You know, I mean, it was just excruciating at times. And yet we come through it. And take a deep breath, the tears would stop, that wonderful feeling of when you sob so hard, whatever chemically happens to the body, which is beautiful. Like, okay, now I'm filled up again for whatever comes next. But it was 
you know, pure hell sometimes, but there would be these moments of lightness. And I did, I listened to uplifting messages. I really leaned into that thought of don't look at where you are, look at where you want to go. I can't stand where we are. I accept it. I make peace, but now I have to redirect my focus immediately. Otherwise, I would just think further down. So I had to constantly redirect, redirect, redirect. And at times it was like magical unicorns and fairies and verbalizing the way I wanted it to be and staying off of Facebook. So I didn't continue to tell the story to recreate the story. I had to start kind of go to like my happy place and focus on that. That was very a very helpful tool in terms of being in the process, the whole redirect to the story you want to have. And what other resources have you found that you'd like to share with people? Because I know you have, I think you have a list, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I have a, a you know, what's a great resource, I have to say, is Lori Dennis's book, Line Madness. It's awesome. She lists out towards the, it's phenomenal. As I was reading those, we had tried a number of those. We had then tried some other ones again, but can be limited. So what I, what I also did too, which actually was helpful. There's something called by proxy. So most people think of it in legal terms, but if you're into maybe a little more energy medicine or some alternative stuff, the mother by proxy can do things for her child. So in this case, I mean, I birthed my children. I honestly don't know if you adopted a child from an energy standpoint, how that would flow. But I was told that since you birthed the child through your human body, uh, yeah, what other time would it be? But you can, by proxy, um, advocate or pray or suggest and be the conduit for their healing. Now, that was right up my alley. So I started working with an acupuncturist. And she's like, honey, you're a hot mess. She's here in my neck of the woods. I think you understand the value of acupuncture. But she started to help me get it together so that I wasn't just, so that I could be more effective and, and use my healing through me. And I would lay in bed with him each night. I slept with him every night because initially when he started SSRIs, I'm like, he was still walking. I'm like, I can't get up and have some kid really hurting themselves in the middle of the night. So I was in there with him every night. So I would lay in bed and I would pray. I would direct energy. I would do visualizations, a variety of things from my body to his by proxy as his mother. And then I also sent away for healing to have him healed long distance healing. I really think that was effective. I remember, I remember McKay having a dream in January that was January 8th, 2018. And I had a dream that he walked. And the next day he walked. It was insane. It was one of those moments where you're like, is this even real? It was just such a sweet, fun little tidbit to this, this journey that we had been on. Um, but I leaned into that by proxy thing and said, I'm going to get it together. I'm just going to emanate healing beyond the uh, surface level of researching and reading and understanding things. I'm like, I got to go deep, man, on this. This is not, we're not going to just solve this at one level. We need a modality of healing tools here. But I think Lyme Madness is a great resource for people. Lori Dennis's book, that's phenomenal. And what else did you use? either to, you know, oh, okay. people well, in, in the neighborhood, people on the internet, other books. Yes, yes. 
Well, I was fortunate enough to run across a group of gals, and this will get into kind of the next piece and what people could do to hopefully get coverage for their family to start getting some insurance to cover some of the same things that helped our son heal. Um, I met this fabulous group of women who've been up and running for a number of years called the New York Pat, N-Y-P-A-T. And Lisa Killian was the person at that time that I first connected with. There's about nine of us in the group from all over the state. They were already up and running. They had a name. They had contacted their local assemblymen and senators, and they had a bill in process to start this with the Department of Health to get it recognized and ultimately get insurance coverage. So for me, that small group of women was a great community versus the bigger groups on Facebook, which which are phenomenal and responsive. I would encourage everybody, you just go to Facebook and there's a variety of pans, pandas. You just have to tell a little bit about your story. And people are very responsive to make, you could have 20 suggestions probably within an hour for people to get some sense of, okay, okay, okay. You just tell your story and people respond like nobody's business. It's crowdsourcing. It is a phenomenal form of crowdsourcing. Okay, so that's what anybody listening to this right now could go to Facebook, get on there, and man, you're going to get some good information. I was able to have a smaller group because we all had, well, they'd already decided, and I was late to the party, but they're going to get help for people. We're going to get insurance coverage. We're going to make this happen. So they already have stories in the works. Back in May of 2017, there was a Senate bill and a House bill for this to be recognized, for PANS and PANDAS to be recognized with the intention of then it moving through insurance to get coverage, okay? Meanwhile, the state of Illinois had been the first state to actually get, it's called Charlie's Law, to actually get coverage for IVIG. I'm not sure if plasmapheresis was on there as well. But people need money to get help and see if this is going to work for them. So we were, we had benefit also, but the state of Illinois and numerous other states were doing in the works. So these fabulous women, I already had this in place. I was able to join the group. We all played different roles at different times. And as of like even January of this year now, there was a bill put forward in the assembly to get some insurance coverage for every health plan for people so that people can get some of what was so beneficial to me and many other people, IVIG, and maybe just some basic medical coverage up front, but some of the biggest players in terms of the bigger forms of immunotherapy. You need money for that. Yeah, it ain't cheap, is it? Like you said. Oh, God, no. No, when everybody wants to be paid up front and we ran it through insurance and we were denied, denied, denied. And ultimately, we went to the New York Department of Finance and we got some reimbursement at the end. But that wasn't without a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Because, man, you have to fight for that. You have to fight for those reimbursement dollars. We're trying to get people support, obviously, on the front end where it's covered, where the state understands this is a medical condition. Oh, and by the way, people heal. Let's help them heal. Otherwise, down the road, they are going to be, they will need, the one guarantee is people will need government dollars because they will have a debilitated lifestyle. Right. So let's help them get healing up front and show up for their lives. Now, you kind of bounce back and forth between talking about Lyme and pans and pandas. And so some people out there are going to be familiar and kind of hang on, be, being able to hang with you as you do that. But what's what's the 
different. Like, and what's the difference okay. between? Yeah, the yeah, I can do know? that. Yeah. Well, okay. So PANS is the umbrella. Okay. PANS, if you can imagine a big umbrella with a lot of type of infectious diseases, it could be bacterial, it could be viral, it could be parasitic. Something crosses the blood brain barrier, something goes kafluki, and you all of a sudden start to have some neuropsychiatric experiences. And now adults can have PANS and PANS. Okay. I was going to say, is this usually with children or sometimes adults as well? Adults as well, and there's been talk of not limiting limiting it to the P. The P stands for pediatric, okay? Right, so when right. it was discovered in the 80s, just with strep by Dr. Susan Sweeto, she did a kickoff there. She That was so smart, I think, just to find one thing and connect with rheumatology and the Cunningham panel and a variety of things. So then they realized, I think, oh, my gosh, it's not just strep, which can create these neuropsychiatric behaviors. It can be all kinds of stuff. Oh, and now I think there's some consensus. I, I'm not sitting at the National Institute of Mental Health right now being asked this, but my understanding is there's consensus now that this also doesn't have to happen just to pediatrics. This is, there's adults walking around with this that may or may not have started as they were technically under 18 years of age. People, had, adults have this as well. I had a woman come into my office on Monday, and she's she's been coming in and out of acupuncture for a while. And she uh, she was away for the summer, so she's getting back into the swing of things. And she said, you know, it's been a really rough summer. And it started off with, uh, I got strep. You know, we talked about it. It turns out she didn't actually get tested, but her son got sick after her and he got tested and he had strep. So she assumed it's strep. She said, and then it was a sinus infection mm -hmm. and then it was pneumonia. And, and now, you know, I'm, um, she says, I'm kind of like a type A personality anyway. She, but my anxiety is off the charts. And of course, yeah. like you, yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. It's like, Oh my goodness, mm -hmm. we've got to get this infection mm -hmm. under control. It's not, <laughs> even though you're you're functional and you don't have pneumonia anymore and like that, there's something still attacking you. And it's exactly what right, you're saying, right. right? And she, up to this point, Absolutely, she's thinking, you know, it's psychiatric, right? It's psychiatric, but it's not. It's not even close. Well, exactly. Only because the symptoms may manifest as psychiatric. Yes. It's a brain injury. <laughs> because guess what? It may have crossed the... Absolutely. Is it in the amygdala? Is it in the other? I cannot think of the other portion of the brain that typically gets annoyed and aggravated. And that's just how it manifests. But that's not the cause of it. Right. She already it, has. She already has a list of, of potential things to treat. I'm even researching now. Uh, you know, misdiagnosis of bipolar and schizophrenia. Yeah. That's kind of caught my eye lately in terms of. Let's see if there's any underlying infection. Those are just the symptoms. Let's let's work backwards. What do we have to lose by taking a viral panel? Nothing. We can rule it out. Otherwise, we can treat the virus. And don't forget and see mold. if the symptoms. Right. Oh yes, mold and metal. Yep. Because mold and metal. Yes, mold. Th there's Absolutely. only there's only so many ways the body can fall apart. At some point, it all converges, right, and everything looks similar. Correct. The triggers, yeah. Yeah. the triggers are, are are innumerable, and they don't have to be all in one basket, right? You can have a little bit of this. You can be a cafeteria diagnosis. You can have, and that's more right. Hor Horowitz's idea. You know, ten percent here, ten percent here, ten percent there. As soon everything mm -hmm. falls apart, but it's not like you know some people their exposure is obvious, right? You know, they got bit by Lyme. They had the 
by the tick, they have the bullseye rash, it's very clear, and then everything falls apart. Or you get some exposure to heavy metals, you've got, you know, so that's off the charts, mm-hmm. and you have a clear, mm-hmm. you know, you, you love, you know, fishing, and you've been eating trout out of the stream for, you know, 20 years, or you, you know, eat a can of tuna fish a day or something crazy like that. But a lot of times it's not so or, obvious, right? It's not so obvious. No, it's like the, um, what is it? The bio, bioaccumulation is the word yes, I'm looking for. Exactly. So the bioaccumulation Great of all term. these years. I remember like putting aluminum foil on my teeth in the 70s to fake like I had braces. <laughs> um, I certainly had amalgam fillings at some point. I'm like, die awesome. aluminum foil. That's how you got into my gum line and into my brain and you know what I'm saying? Over all yep. these years, what has accumulated? We have no idea, really, what has accumulated. You know, and it's it seems it seems like so. You go back. So my father-in-law, uh, I'm going to wind up uh, w- with this story, and then I'll give you the last word. My father-in-law tells yeah. of using DDT in the barn he was cleaning out. They were killing flies in the 50s and he didn't have any protective he had a baseball cap on right and it seems like there's a lot of exposures back then but people the 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 entire toxic load right dr jill carnahan talks about your toxic bucket the toxic Mm -hmm. bucket Mm -hmm. wasn't as full because there wasn't as much and so you know that's kind of in the back of our mind a lot of doctors are thinking well you know we all have exposure to stuff yeah, but now we've got exposure to a thousand different things, not just one. Right, and, right. Right, and yeah. it does just takes one more, the, the proverbial straw, you know, puts it over the top. Absolutely. And I think, and then that, and that sends you down a path. And in some cases, it's more like low or chronic over time. You just can't show up for your life as well. Your relationship starts to wither. It's not, I mean, we had no choice, but to, I mean, ours was so obnoxious and in our face and it was very violent, but um, it's, it's sometimes it's just as challenging if it's low grade over yes. a period of five, six, you know what I'm saying? Where you yeah. kind of even just blow it off over time and then, uh, and then you're like, what, what? My life is here now. Oh my God. Oh right now we get here. Indeed. Wait, well, let me just answer this real quick then. You said, okay, so basically a lot of the pans, pandas, kids, adults, they have as one of their offenders <laughs> or one of their ongoing issues is Lyme and co-infections, okay, right. and viruses. So I would not rule out any of that. You still have to check your viruses, your bacteria, your parasites, all of that. But as we all know, you have to get a quality Lyme test. You can't get what they normally offer at your local doctor's. That is so important. Adults can have it. There's a fabulous website called Aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E dot org. Many of the heads of all of these fabulous organizations came together, pooled their knowledge. I love the term crowdsourcing. And you will see on their board of directors, phenomenal, respectable people in the pans, pandas, and in certain cases, Lyme Arena. I would encourage everyone to go there in terms of a resource. If you live in the state of New York, just get online and look up Assembly Bill A2897. Let your local senators and assembly people know you want coverage. You support this. It's not that long of a bill. Anybody can read it. The information's there. But as we all know, people have to show up and demand their rights. 
seek what they want. But the ladies I've worked with have done so much to get it to this level. We just need some more voices from the people to help this happen. But um, I have tremendous hope and faith and, oh, there is healing. There is absolutely healing. Healing is here. Healing is now, okay? It's now. Stephanie, you have been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on my show. And uh, we'll have to come back and circle back and hear what happens with this bill and with all these other resources and, and what you continue to learn. Absolutely. I would be honored. And thank you. Thank you very much for our time together today. This was such a great interview. And, you know, there were so many things that I could touch on to kind of wrap this thing up. But I think I'm going to go back to learning how she learned how to take care of herself or how she put a priority on to taking care of herself again. When you're a mom and when you're when your kid gets sick with Lyme disease, you're often how do I want to say this? Nobody teaches you how to take care of yourself in this sort of situation. We're just kind of tossed into it. We're just trying to do this best as we can. And nobody uh, sits you down and says, listen, you have to take care of yourself first. Right. It's so true. The analogy that's overused, and it's overused because it's so good, is the airplane analogy. When if you lose oxygen and they say put your oxygen mask on first and then help your child. Because oftentimes what will happen, you're so concerned about the child that you'll pass out trying to help your child and then you can't help your child anymore. It's such an important thing. You need to take care of yourself so you can take care of your family, all your responsibilities. It's that important. It always helps to have a supportive spouse, but it's not necessary. You can look outside the family for that support. You can look online. There are lots of avenues, but take the time to put that together. You need a team. You can't do Lyme disease alone. That's really important. That's on the first phase of our Lyme journey roadmap is put that team together. And if you want to look at our graphical map, our little outline for the journey to kind of give you ideas. We are still working on filling that out and making it more robust, but you'll have all that you need right there you have to do some of the work for yourself right now, but it's there for the taking. It's free. Just go to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on the extras button. You'll find a place to download it there. So I think that about covers it, doesn't it? I think so. We've mentioned just about everything. Thank you for staying with us and listening this long. We really appreciate that. If you have some feedback from us, suggestions for guests, really, we'd love to hear that. Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button, and that way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know a ninja once entered a black hole just to see what was in it? Disappointed, the ninja just walked out.
Blind Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.